Welcome back to the Detour Podcast. It's where conversations about life detours and travel detours converge. Then we pull into a rest stop to chat, reflect, and learn. It's one part human experience and one part travel experience. Put together to teach and inspire you to embrace the detours and enjoy the wander. I'm Sheila, your host, and today's episode is Adult in Nature. So be aware if you're listening around others, particularly the little ones, we will keep it as clean as possible as we dive into a sex and intimacy talk that many of us have never had nor heard. My guest today is Kim Moore. She's an author and a speaker whose passion is to get Christians and the church to talk about sex. She's been married for 41 years. She has two adult kids and one grandchild, and she found herself on this detour quite accidentally, or we could say divinely orchestrated. When she did all the right things according to her faith, studied the Bible, committed to her husband, saved herself for marriage, and had this holy union with her husband um, at 19, she realized there was a component that the church does not talk about which is sex, other than to tell you not to do it unless you're married, and then once you're married, do not deprive each other. So I will state that Kim's opinions and interpretations are her own, and the Detour podcast is a platform for expression. We typically steer away from sex, religion, and politics, but today we're going there (laughs) because there are approximately 240 million people who identify as Christians in America, and the overall divorce rate across all marriage is 50%, and even among Christians, it's 33%. And they do say that, um, you know, it's sex, money, and kids that are the big fights um, in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an issue, and because of the sensitive nature and religious constraints, no one talks about it on a small or large scale. Not in your small groups, not among friends, and not in corporate education, church education for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim does not claim to be an expert on sex or the Bible, but she has done research and she is willing to have this hard conversation because very few will address it at all. So today I am thrilled to have um, Kim here with us on the podcast to um, talk about um her detour story, how she kind of found herself um, writing two books. Um, one book out of what she sort of learned when she started um, researching. And then the second book um, is she's working on now. It's in Kim What the Editing and Revising mm, Stage. Right. Okay, so right. she's going to tell us about those two things, about the journey along the way and um, how she found herself talking about sex and uh, within the confines of marriage and and Christians particularly. So Kim, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for um, taking the time to talk to us all today and um, telling us about what you've discovered and how we can help have better marriages. Well, first of all, thank you for coming and, and having doing this with me. It's just uh, my passion, and I absolutely love to talk about it and love to share what I've discovered and found with other people. And my journey started before we got married because my background was um, very sort of religious. I had always gone to church and everything like that, and there was nothing ever taught to me from the religious standpoint of the Bible about sex it was just not talked about in our family um sex was not even mentioned it was just dirty all i was told before marriage is don't mm-hmm. in fact i was told if you ever get pregnant don't come home wow so it was just one of those things um and when they said if and then, and then my response was kind of like well i don't even know how to get pregnant i mean <laughs> it was like they told me that when i got you know my yeah. first period mm-hmm. and so it was like i i just i was very very um Sheltered from it all together. Ignorant, I guess, Mm -hmm. in in the sense. So, and I grew up in the 70s. And so there was this this whole mindset of, you know, leave it to beaver, wholesome. You know, sex was just not there. And I had this grandiose pie-in-the-sky notion that if I waited then God was going to bless us with just this amazing sex life and everything was going to just be fine. And it, it just wasn't like that at all. Um, now, I won't say that we were perfect. Uh, we dated two and a half years, but we got into some precarious situations, but we waited. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem 
began, uh, I just felt very, very dirty. Um, so once you were married, you had, quote, permission now right. to, to do what you wanted to do or, what, you know, what you and your husband wanted to do, what was natural and, and maybe what your bodies wanted to do. But mentally, you I was felt, terrified. You were terrified and you felt dirty about it. The next, I, I just felt very dirty. I felt ruined uh, mm -hmm. on our honeymoon. And it just, uh, it was really hard for me. And things just didn't get better. And so, I mean, I, I just couldn't even walk from the bedroom to the bathroom without putting taking the sheet with me. And my husband, about six months after we'd been married, he had this, he got real somber one afternoon and just, you, and just I could tell something was wrong. And he just looked at me and very sweetly asked me, you know, Kim, what is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Are you gay? Wow. Yeah. He went, right, so he's feeling really rejected. No. Um, or confused about confused. why you know, Oh, we waited two and a half years and this is what I waited for? Because, <laughs> you know, I was yeah. kind of like, I just didn't, just didn't feel comfortable having sex. And it, the only thing the church taught me after you got married was don't deprive. So I went from don't to don't deprive overnight and I couldn't make that switch. Mm -hmm. And so I felt guilty if I did have sex and I felt guilty if we didn't have sex. Oh, true. So yeah. I was in this situation where it was like, I just don't, and I wasn't sure what constituted holy sex. I mean, you know, so I, I was just totally, totally confused. And I started, I mean, when he said that, I started crying. And the really weird thing was I wasn't crying for myself. I was mm -hmm. crying for him. Aww. Here's a man who waited two and a half years and now he's like, this is it? This is what I waited for? And I'm sure that you're committed to each other. You're thinking, you know, till death do we part. You yeah. just said these vows and you're like, he's probably thinking, and you're thinking, wow, this is going to be a long, long road. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, man. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in a bad place. And, uh, you know, so I started... I knew I needed to get some kind of help. Mm -hmm. And so the very first thing I did was there was a married woman at church that I had been in the nursery with, working with her. So when one day after the session, I, I tried to breach that subject with her. And she just was like, oh my gosh, get I, I, like, uh, get away. Right yeah. down. Well, I, yeah. you know, I'm, we're not going there. I, uh -uh. And so it was like, okay, that, that didn't go well. And I was felt really uh, rejected like... And so I thought, okay, I'll go to counseling. Well, this was in the 70s, okay? So I'm get going through the yellow pages, mm -hmm. and all the, all the counselors were men. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I can't do that. I can't go sit in front of a strange man and try to tell him what I can't even do in the dark with my husband. So it's kind of like this really weird thing that I'm not doing that. It just mm -hmm. doesn't even feel right to go to a man and say, you know, I got problems with sex, and I can't, you know, I can't, I can't put the, in any of this into words. So the next thing I did was I found a little book on the Song of Solomon. It was a little paperback, and it helped a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, it, and the Song of Solomon, if, if you're not familiar with, with it, is, is a book in the Bible. Right. Is it, um, and it ha it's known uh, for being um, about sex, mm -hmm. um, and it's poetic and, and uh, very flowery wording, and, and it often um, can get interpreted many ways exactly mm -hmm. and and so it did help in the sense that it helped okay intercourse is in marriage is acceptable to god and it's pleasing to god so it was like okay that's that part is i got mm -hmm. now it, it, that didn't just turn around overnight either i had to keep working at that because i still felt that that it takes a while to change those tapes in your head yeah and so that took a while but it that part got better but it didn't really address a lot of questions i had mm -hmm. and you know i i thought maybe you shouldn't have sex on sunday i thought maybe <laughs> you know certain positions were not good i was kind of like i had all these questions mm -hmm. and the book didn't address those questions so there was a even though you're now getting over the guilt and the shame of of just this intercourse part of it now you've got to deal with what about all these other things surrounding sex what's permitted and what's not and I couldn't get answers to those so it only got me so far mm -hmm. and but I I read many different interpretations of the Song of Solomon many different books 
And like you just said, it's very flowery and it's open to different interpretation. So one person would say, this is okay. The next person would say, this isn't okay. The interpretations were all over the place, mm -hmm. which left me going, well, who's right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, out of fear, I, there was, I just wouldn't do a lot of things. You're just I like, until I get the final answer, I'm just not going there because I don't want to do something wrong. Do something wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. that just kind of, that was kind of the end of my journey after a, uh, that part of the journey for a couple years, but we were regular, you know, I wasn't depriving mm -hmm. and we were regular. So I figured my husband must be happy. So at that point, and I'm guessing he wasn't or something. You had another conversation someday that um, let you know that he was not happy? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, tell us about that. Uh, this is another big detour. Mm -hmm. uh, about I kind of, you know, continue to read the Song of Solomon, but just sort of settled with mm -hmm. it. 16 years later, uh, we're in our mid-30s at this point, and we had um, a friend, friends of ours that we did everything with. I mean, vacations, everything. So we're very, very close. And they, we'd been friends for almost as long as we'd been married, 15 years. And they were in the church, leaders in the church. And they, I call them Ken and Barbie. Mm -hmm. They were really, really cute. Mm -hmm. And I, I always say she was kind of look, reminded me of um, Olivia Newton-John. And he reminded me of Bruce Willis. Okay. And they were just really cute, fit, everything. And all of a sudden, um, Ken, Ken and Barbie uh, leave. He leaves. He just leaves her out of the blue. No, nobody they saw They separate. He just left her. He just left. He just left out of the blue. Nobody saw it coming. The church was devastated. We were devastated. And, and um, about several months after the divorce and she was able to kind of get a grip on herself and I felt like it was safe to ask I said you know now looking back did you see any warning signs yeah what happened yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know because you know it was so out of the blue she said oh yeah I did and I was like well what and um she said well you know everything in our everything else in our marriage was just so great that I didn't think it mattered and I'm like, well, what was it? She said, well, we were just having sex once or twice a year. Once or twice per year. Per year. Wow. And I was like, I mean, literally my jaw hit the floor. There was just no hiding my shock. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? I mean, literally my husband and I had talked about it. No kids, they're gorgeous. They're everything else they were we thought they were like rabbits no yeah kidding. like right so yeah. hanging from the chandeliers yeah. on a daily basis yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah uh -huh. literally uh -huh. and then to find out they were they you know, they had even gone on a two-week vacation she said they didn't have sex once on a two-week vacation i'm like are you kidding me wow and so that really was kind of like whoa and then i thought it kind of put me in this weird thinking thing and mm -hmm. i'm thinking well no wonder he left her yeah you know mm -hmm. I, we're good we're regular you know so now you're think you're like wow okay like that, that you could kind of almost see like once or twice a year okay no wonder he left he her left. in a sense so now you're doing your little inventory check of all right well how frequent are are we we're we're at least frequent so yeah. i think we're good yeah. yeah we're not we're not one to two times a year no no we're yeah. you know mm -hmm. we're, we're doing all right and yeah. so um my husband and i just were talking about this conversation that i'd had with barbie and so we were kind of just both like in awe of, of what she told me and i was like very kind of cocky and flippant i just went well we have good sex right mm-hmm Nothing. crickets crickets and i was Ooh, like i ouch. thought well i said it real fast maybe he didn't hear me maybe he didn't understand me and i said well we have good sex right and i got crickets again Ooh. and at that point literally I, I i was like i couldn't breathe i was just kind of like and i just said um we do don't we i mean it was shaking and he just he wouldn't say a word he just looked at me and his eyes were like i can't tell you what you want me to say Oh. And I was just like, ugh. So. And now you're probably, did you just get very scared? Like, oh my gosh, we could be heading down the same path? Oh, or, yeah. Like, 
no one knew this was going on with Ken and Barbie. Right. And I don't. E- I didn't even know this in my own marriage. I'm thinking he's yeah. happy because we're regular, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm all shook up. And not only that, there was another couple. This was really weird, too. But we had another couple who were neighbors. And we did a lot of stuff with them, too, with our boys. We're friends and all of that, too. Well, within a few months after Ken and Barbie's divorce... He also left her for another woman. So our, both of our two very closest friends, within a year, less than a year, both husbands left. And both of these were like model couples, respected. So now I've got two people on each side of us that their husbands just left them. And my husband's telling me basically in a nutshell by not saying anything that he was not happy. So huh. I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, I've got to get back to the drawing board here and find some answers. I needed answers to all that those questions that I didn't get with the first mm-hmm. book attempt. Yeah, yeah, and I thought I got to get back into the Song of Solomon. I started reading again, and that took me on a, a very strange journey, um, where I I ended up looking at the Song of Solomon, and I'm gonna take it for what I see in it. And so I started seeing in the seventh chapter where she did a provocative dance where she was almost naked for mm-hmm. um, King Solomon. And, and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to learn how to be more like this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to learn to be more of an exhibitionist in the bedroom. Yeah. So you're like, okay, well, we can. Okay. So there's, there's some years in there. Let me pause you real quick before we get on this part. So you went from like, I can barely have just like normal intercourse right to okay that's acceptable when you got you know you worked your way through that but and but now we're at the point your husband is saying like uh it's okay so was it just very vanilla for him exactly. like is that so that's basically you had like very one, tr- one trick in your in your yeah. in your bag and that was about it yeah because it's like i didn't know whether you know certain positions there are certain things what you know yeah. nobody could tell me if oral sex was approved by god there's masturbation you know approved yeah. by god what about you know this what about sex toys what about lingerie what about, all these questions are in my head and i'm mm-hmm. going no we just can't go any place like that because you know I only know that, you know, intercourse is approved. Right. And so I really hit a point where, you know, we really had what I call sex in a box, a little Mm. tiny box. Yeah. And Uh so he was just wanting more variety and I wasn't willing to give it to him. Not because, because I was afraid to, because I thought it was wrong and I wasn't going to, it was displeasing to God. So I got back to the Song of Solomon, and in 16 years, I thought maybe some things had changed. Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody had made a discovery. Mm -hmm. Well, when I started reading more stuff on the Song of Solomon, I found out that it was still the same stuff I'd read 16 years before. There really wasn't much of a difference in the interpretations. They were Mm -hmm. still all over the place and very contradictory. So, But what I saw was that in the seventh chapter, she's dancing. He describes her whole body. and she's basic. She can't be doing that if she's got clothes on. So mm-hmm. she was obviously nude, and um, it. So it kind of. And, she, and she's dancing, and I'm thinking. So it took me a while. And let me just say, it took me years. Mm-hmm. The, the, we'd been married about 16 years at this point to get to a place where I could start wearing lingerie um, and not walking out with my hands in front of the private areas and, <laughs> and to be able to do it with confidence mm-hmm. because I was the girl who couldn't get out of the bed and go to the bathroom without the bed sheet. Mm-hmm. So I was having to learn how to really get out of my comfort zone. And that so that, that was a real hard thing. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a really hard thing because the last thing you want to do is look foolish when you're not dressed or you know barely Mm -hmm. dressed or whatever Mm -hmm. it's it's very vulnerable it's probably the most vulnerable you Mm -hmm. can be so that was extremely hard and and then after after that point in the seventh chapter she also does she creates romantic dinners or getaways for her for king solomon and i'm thinking okay so i started doing those um but i did them themed and I, the first one was a Caribbean theme that I did out on our back balcony, and boy, did it go over. It was a hit. 
And I started doing, since it was such a hit, I did different, more different mm -hmm. themes. I did. Now, were these surprises for your yes. husband? Like you just, he wouldn't know you were doing this right. and you planned it all. And then he would just come home from work someday exactly. or, or whatever. And you would have this whole thing planned. Right. So that was probably a nice little bit of variety and the, and the surprise and the, you know, right. novelty that he was looking for. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of novelty because like in the Caribbean one, I, I wore like a bikini with a little sarong and a flower in my hair and things like that. And so it really kind of spiced things up. And, you know, you're having sex in a different place now, too, out on your balcony. So mm -hmm. it, that really changed, you know, things. And since that was such a huge hit, um, when, when Halloween came, I did a Phantom of the Opera theme. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and then I ended up doing some other ones. We love Gasparilla and so I did a pirate theme and he was all over these. He was like, oh man, couples would love these. These are fun. These are, you know, creative. You should write a book. And I, at first for two years, I went, no way. I'm not writing a book. I don't want to write a book. Uh -uh. Mm. And, but he kept on me. And finally one day I literally heard, my, heard myself say, no, I don't know how to write. I don't want to write. I heard a voice say, well, Moses didn't know how to speak either. So mm -hmm. I said, okay. And I committed myself to it. And I wrote my first book called Now That's Romantic, which are themed dinners, and they teach, give people some Great inspiration idea. for yep. creativity. You kind of um, tell um, the, the background of, of the idea of how you got there, and then there's beautiful photographs um, that sort of show you the, the themes and give you a step-by-step -step, yeah. um, of how to pull this off yourself, you know, right. or at least... It, add your own twist to it, right, you know, give right. you a guideline to go by and spark some inspiration. Right. Um, so, and, uh, how many different, um, dinners are in there? There's six, six different six ones. Different yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's like a Valentine's day one. We call it like, uh, hearts on fire. Mm -hmm. And there's the, the pirate one is called surrender the booty. Ah. And, uh, yeah. And, um, the, uh, Halloween is one haunted evening. Mm -hmm. And so they each have a, a twist, the, the Caribbean cabana type one. So each one is, is, is got its own flair and some are sweet, some are more romantic, some are a little more adventurous and, mm -hmm. and, but they, you know, you can, you can improvise and you can do, you can make them for you. Personalized for mm -hmm. you and right. your partner. Right. Yeah. That's great. So then, um, so now is, um, with these, with these dinners is your husband, um, satisfied are you done with your research are you just like okay i got this married sex thing down or what what happened next well let's just say the dinners and all of that just it was almost like we had our honeymoon years at around Later. 20 years uh-huh i mean when everybody else is probably going south i don't know but we were like oh we're like little flirtatious teenagers now uh-huh and so we were claiming things that we had missed in the past and yet what happened with that was my book came out and I thought, oh, wow, churches are going to love this. I'm going to go speak to women and they're going to give them some inspiration. And church, you know, guess what? I just got door after door slammed in my face. They weren't interested. In fact, I was almost like I had a third eye or something. I couldn't even get people to talk to me. Wow. So... What do you think this is? This is just um, within church leadership. They just don't want to go there. They think it's not their position to go there. Uh, I, yeah. I where was... where are they leading their people in this area um, if it's not through them? How are Christians supposed to know? Well, what I discovered about what most churches teach is every time they oh they they think they talk about sex okay oh uh, we you know we just we discuss sex but if you really listen because i go to a lot of different churches websites and i listen when people say oh they're talking about this they're talking about that so i go listen mm -hmm. and what usually it's they talk oh sex is beautiful it's a god-given gift and should be embraced blah, blah blah but then it goes into usually before you know it they go into pornography and how that's bad and they talk about what's bad about it and they talk about you know adultery and how that's bad about it and lusting and things like that but they really don't talk much about what is beautiful about it they don't uh, answer questions it's they, very again vague. it just tells you all the things that you can't do can't do or shouldn't do or 
or whatever, but it's very it's vague. not. Um, so what are the things, you know? Yeah. How do we have good, again, it just, is, it just like assumes that this is just going to happen naturally and everybody's going to know what to do. And, um, and the bottom line is, you know, if we lived in, you know, a perfect heaven on earth, mm-hmm. we wouldn't probably have these issues. We wouldn't have these outside right. influences. Not every, not every person is raised in the church. Right. Not every person um, waits for marriage. Right. Not every person um, has had a uh, puristic upbringing. Right. Um, then you factor in sexual abuse mm-hmm. or sex assault or um, shame mm-hmm. that, I mean, you had shame and technically, you know, you quote, did all the right things. You had this innate shame mm-hmm. about your body and sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have people that have, you know, maybe been sexually assaulted, maybe had been molested, uh, maybe had pregnancies and had abortions, Mm -hmm. um, all these other things that are tied into your sex life that becomes more than just the act of sex. Absolutely. And, um, I, I'm certainly not a sex expert either, but I've been married for, you know, 25 years and, and a lot of the things, you know, resonate actually 26 years, um, resonate, (laughs) um, you know, with me, that same thing. We, I got married at 19, you know, very, uh, limited knowledge before that. Um, and so, yeah, you're just trying to figure it out as you go. Plus bring all your junk with you. Yes. Your junk. Yeah. All your junk with you. So what does the, back to the question, what does, do you, do you have any sense of church leadership and what, where they think we're supposed to learn this? I think what I've discovered over the last few years, because I was so highly rejected, um, is I ended up speaking, first of all, I ended up speaking to a lot of women's groups, Christian women's groups, but they weren't in the church. They were uh, outside of the church. And the women went absolutely nuts over the stuff I was teaching them. They were all over it. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and of course, women. I tell my story, so women come up to me afterwards and tell their story, and they, you know, they want to tell me, you know, everything that's wrong. And I was shocked at young, old. It doesn't matter. What I went through is is rampant, mm-hmm. and nobody's talking about it. There mm-hmm. are so many issues that women have, and, and even men, because we don't have any questions that are being answered, and and there's too many false assumptions and and things that were taught erroneously so i at first i thought well the church is you know is terrible because they're not dealing with it but then after a while in my research and everything i started realizing the church doesn't know what to teach Uh because the song of solomon is interpreted so many different ways and because there's so many different opinions on what it says they just don't want to go there. I have an epiphany right now. Oh yeah. So you, you were not willing to do X, Y, Z until you had the solid answer because you didn't want to do the wrong thing or right. say the wrong thing. Now you've got the church. It sounds like the same thing. Exactly. They're just not really yes. to say or do or you know go there. Go there on X, Y, because they're not sure. Exactly. And so they're just like we can't be responsible for teaching the wrong thing to the masses. So we're just going to shut up about it. And you're certainly not going to go to your small group and be like, okay, well, you know, everybody got their their hors d'oeuvres and we're going to sit down and and read in the chapter, hey, does anyone use sex toys, by the way? Yeah, no kidding. You're not going to, you're not going to just blurt that out. No, Um, no. And um, few of us, I mean, hopefully you have maybe one good friend that you could even broach that subject with and they don't have the answers either because no. they're saying we're yeah, all in the same know. boat i don't really know because um you know i don't know is how many times a week do you have sex well i have sex this many times oh okay well i do it this many times i wonder if that's too much or too little or what does your husband say well he always wants more you know yeah. and all you wind up doing is commiserating like we can't i don't know we can't figure this out okay well i'll see you next week you know and that's and that's we're all in the same boat nobody has answers and so you know everybody has their different opinions because i was it was kind of like well god just isn't giving us answers and yet 
there was one thing in the Bible that really plagued me. It says God gives us everything we need for life and godliness, but we don't have answers to one of the biggest things in in our life, which is right. sex and marriage, we don't have answers. And that was very inconsistent and it really bugged me. Mm-hmm. So I kept saying the answers are in the Bible. Mm-hmm. We're just not interpreting them correctly or we don't know how to interpret them correctly. And so I just kept going back to the song and I just kept reading it over and over and over and over again and doing more and more researching. Still, I was going in a big circle and I wasn't getting any answers. So at one point I got, re- this was another detour. <laughs> I got really, really upset with God because I'd had this book published, went through five years to write it and all this money to publish it. And then I was like, God, I knew you wanted me to write this book. And I went through all this to get it done. And for a year and a half, all I've had is a door slammed in my face. Nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody's open to it, you know? And so I was just like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, and I. What do you want from me? Yeah. <laughs> what I, do you want I, from me? Like, I heard the call. I'm trying to do it. Now, what do you want from me? Yeah. And I was literally walking around my house, shaking my fist at God, yelling, crying, going, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, that, you know, what do you want? And all I literally heard was that small whisper going, it's a wedding. And I was like, and that's all I kept hearing is it, it's a wedding. And I'm like, well, everybody knows it's a wedding. So the the Song of Solomon, this the story in there is about a wedding, right? Is and you're saying, and so that's that's what you felt uh, needed to be emphasized. So that was right. like, okay, yeah, it's a wedding. Like that that's the obvious part. I got that. But yeah, my yeah. thing was, well, yeah, sure, it's a wedding, and and everybody knows there's a bride in there, and and all this kind of stuff, and yet. If it was that simple, then historians and Bible scholars would have figured this out a long time ago, Yet, the, but nobody has. So I wanted to just think I was hearing things and to just discard it, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing research on ancient weddings. And at first it was Hebrew weddings and I couldn't find hardly anything. And I was really getting... But then I started stumbling into ancient uh, Middle Eastern weddings. And then I started finding stuff. And the stuff I was starting to find was like, oh my goodness. The, the, when I started learning about betrothals and what happened in a betrothal and how they were done, I saw things. I basically had the Song of Solomon memorized by this point. I saw things of the song just pop right out of the page. So it was like you got the, the, the key to the interpretation yes like somebody turned on google translate and now it's in a language that you can understand and you're reading it with new eyes and right it some of the pieces are starting to fit so what what did you learn give us some specific examples well for example um in in back in those days they had betrothals and you had to be betrothed and you had to be betrothed for at least a year and a betrothal started with a banquet and then you that's where you said all your vows and so after after the banquet though you were separated from your from your groom okay so this is kind of like an engagement party yes and um, but you say vows but you say vows and you okay. exchange money the two families exchanged money at that point so the bride price was given and there were certain commitments and things like that that were done between the two families at the banquet because and they're setting up this arranged marriage is how they really... and then they weren't always arranged either let me just okay. say that they, okay they, they were they were both it was both uh but because of the money situations and some this was a business transaction type of thing because the bride would no longer work for her family anymore she would go move in with her the groom the or her betrothed no not betrothed okay but but what I guess I'm getting ahead of myself what happens is after the banquet and the money and everything exchanges hands the Bride and the groom, they are bride and groom at this point. The groom leaves, he goes back to live with his father and the father of the groom starts to plan the wedding banquet. And the the groom starts to build the wedding chamber. And if you know your New Testament, you're gonna start having little bells go off in your Mm -hmm. head. 
And the bride stays with her family, and that's where she starts get made, learning how to learning how to make herself beautiful for her husband. She is that point taught about intimacy from her mother. That's where she gets her marriage bed. And there's a whole lot to be said about the marriage bed because it was an actual piece of furniture. It was gorgeous. In fact, some uh, bride's parents would start making the bed as soon as she was born. It was that big a deal. So to kind of draw some parallels for maybe people who aren't Christian, who are listening, or maybe just even don't know, you know, the Bible in and out and that kind of thing. So to make a parallel to kind of, it would be similar to how we sometimes do a hope chest um, in a way, like, um, mm-hmm. it actually, we're yes. sort of getting away from that as well. But um, I know, like, when I was a little girl, people would get hope chests, or sometimes you would give them when a, when a right. baby girl was born or first birthday or something like that, and you start saving um, things within there, and it was usually hand built and things like that um so they would sort of do this with the marriage bed they would make a physical bed make a physical bed and it was a canopy type bed that was enclosed in fabric so it was covered in fabrics um it was it was very beautiful it was very romantic it was kind of like a little romantic cocoon and so the bride would get her marriage bed and learn how to cover it and learn how to make herself beautiful and learn about intimacy during this at least one year period of betrothal. Now the thing about weddings back then is there was no wedding day set. Huh. No. It's nobody knew when the wedding was gonna be <laughs> unless except that it was at least one year. Okay. So after that year period, the bride... Let me guess, who knew when the wedding was going to be? Only the, the father. father. <laughs> right. And when, yeah. and when the wedding uh, chamber was finished by the groom, the father of the groom would have to approve and make sure it was up to his standards because it was built on his estate. And he wanted it to be done right. So when it was done correctly into his standards, he would put his stamp of approval on it. Then at that point... After the banquet was ready, mm-hmm. he would, and everything was ready to be served, basically, he would go to his groom and say, son, everything's ready. Everything looks good. The banquet's ready. Tonight, you can go get your, your bride. Ah. And so when you understand all these things that happen, you can see that the very first chapter of the Song of Solomon is the banquet and their vows. And then there's a the period of separation. There's actually nothing. But then there's what's called the carry. And that's basically, if you know the New Testament, that's the rapture. We are the bride. He is the groom. We're waiting for him to come and take us as his wife. Mm-hmm. And so that the carry happens as a thief in the night, literally after midnight, and trumpets blowing with his groomsmen. They come back. The bridegroom comes. The bridegroom comes blowing the shofar. And so that is what the carry is, and that's the second chapter of the Song of Solomon. So the bride does not even know when she's getting married until that horn blows. And uh, she's just got to get herself ready. It could happen at any moment. So She gets woke up in the middle of the night. Wow. Hearing horns blowing and people, you know, men shouting, the bridegroom comes, the bridegroom comes. And then she she is carried off onto on a little... Um, dolly type thing and 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 then they go from house to house and collect all the other bridesmaids who also have to be ready and they all carry torches everybody had to carry a torch or a lit lamp through the entire carry and then the wedding would be that day wow they had to be prepared for the wedding everything had to be packed and ready the marriage bed everything had to be packed and ready so once we understand their custom really well then we can see that this is all in the song of solomon and we just haven't understood it to that point and then it goes on and then then there's the wedding day and there's the wedding procession and then there's um as you move on to the fourth chapter it's the actual wedding ceremony and then it's the wedding consummation and then it's the wedding banquet and so you can literally, if you understand that the that's the the order in which these things happened, that's the exact same order they happen in the song. Okay, 
So that's as fascinating to me when you like um, dig back and 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 get all the um, heritage and the traditions and and I love that the um, the mothers and the and the women you know were preparing her. Um, so they were. Does that mean they were giving her an education um, yes. for the bedroom? Yes. And so um, is that in there as well? And how do we know what to do? It actually is in there, but it's not in there until the eighth chapter because at that point, um, it's the cycle repeats. And at the, in the eighth chapter, the, the wife of Solomon, <clears throat> excuse me, is preparing their daughter. And it talks about literally... Um, consummation, I mean, uh, consummation, lovemaking, birth, and and commitment in marriage, and all of that, because she's teaching her daughter at that point. And then also in Ruth, we learn a little bit about that, because see, women were never to sleep with a man until they'd been trained for a year, mm -hmm. even if it was in a harem. So Ruth, I'm sorry, Esther, I, I was going to say, my, yeah. Esther, mm -hmm. Esther got uh, when she, they the women had to be trained for a year on intimacy and and how to Body make themselves beautiful and, um, and oil yeah, and, her and yeah. all those things mm -hmm. they had to be trained because no woman was supposed to ever just sleep with a man without being taught you went from kind of like quincentana when they have that in the latin culture mm -hmm. at a certain age you're supposed to come to maturity and that was about the same age that women got married as around 15. So at this point, when a, when a woman got betrothed, it, you didn't get a sex education until you had a groom. Okay. Once you had a groom, then you got your education because you're going to be married. You're going to have a husband in a year or two. So now we're going to teach you. The, bridal, the bride portion of it was a training period. It wasn't just, she didn't even plan the wedding. All They did the the husband did that. The husband's mm -hmm. side, the groom's side did that. Mm. So, so we have, it's got a little bit, um, twisted for us because we say, you know, you're, you have a fiance, um, when you get engaged and then you're not really the bride and groom until your wedding day, but they kind of designated that, um, nomenclature early on mm -hmm. and you have that whole year at least to, be preparing exactly um and he's and i guess you know the groom on that side is is preparing to to be a husband to care for yes a family to you know his role building um, a place for them to live the mm -hmm. wedding chamber and decorating it and it was supposed to be better than what she had ever had before it was supposed to be much more beautiful than what she was raised in mm -hmm. and it had to be to you know certain standards so and he was also he had had to pay the bride price and things like that so he had to pay and the bride price there's so many cool things that you know if we had time we could get into but the bride price the dowry the marriage bed if we really dig into it and understand it there was just so much more uh, that we don't get, we don't understand because we, it's is, gotten lost somewhere. Do you get into a lot of that in your uh, book that will be coming out? I get into all of that. All of it. That's all awesome. Of that. And it, and it, the, again, it's backed up by scripture because almost all of this is back. Almost every single thing. Once you found it, you could know that scripture talks about this here and there and it's make the connections. It makes the connections. And, and, and when I'm speaking to women, it's so funny because as I'm teaching some of these things, literally women's mouths are dropping open and the lights are going off and their mm -hmm. head going, they're making the connections. Mm -hmm. And we even play some games with some of the scriptures and stuff. Um, well, when I speak just to kind of make it a little more interactive. Okay, so let's, because um, I could, we could talk like all day about all this, all this <laughs> kind of stuff. But because we don't live in a time of betrothals and and this this process, right? That process has um, has gone away. Um, I don't. We we kind of joke now, like I don't think I ever. I still haven't had the sex talk, you know, right, and my husband, you know, still haven't had the sex talk from my parents. Um, it was very much the same thing. And it's, it's kind of funny because my mom actually had me as a teen. She was 15 years old when oh, she had wow. me. Okay. Wow. And so, um, you would think that, um, she would be telling me a lot. Um, right. and it, it, again, it just was not 
disgust. No. I could not even sit through like a tampon commercial on TV nope. with my family. I would get like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Yep, I need a drink. Yep. You know, I was like I was so uncomfortable. Um, and then, you know, you, you get married and you're just supposed to know all this stuff and you don't. Um, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't, what are you doing? You know, yeah. um, what do you think I am? Yeah. Um, and you start telling yourself, you know, all these different things. So because we don't live, um, in that system anymore and we are actually, I was listening to actually another podcast on the way over here at, talking about how. Um, people now, you know, turn, they retire, you know, they turn 60 or whatever. They move to Florida because yep. they're just like, check it out. Like I did my job, my job's done. Now I get to like, just relax, have some coffee, watch the birds and look at the water. And, um, this person was talking about how no elders, you're dropping the ball. You're yes. complaining about the youth and how yes. they're so lost in their way in every kind of way, not even religious, any kind of way, right. but we're not being mentored. No, we're not. And you get to be about my age was about 46 and you start figuring out everything you did not know. Exactly. You can't fix it. You can't undo it. But now you have the awareness that at least it's messed up. Right. But you don't actually know how to fix it. Exactly. And there, and so you're just like, uh, okay, but I still have a lot of life to live. Right. And I still, I, I still am at the point where I think it's why you see marriages ending at 20 25 28 you know eight years years, and you're thinking wow we thought they were so solid like they've been together for such a long time and it's all this stuff behind the scenes that's just and you don't know what to do about it right um at least there is you know counseling now you go looking for it and you can find oh all kinds of (laughs) ideas right um are they really what's going to fix your marriage? Well, I, so, know, I know with me, the thing that really bothered me is I wanted somebody to give me answers to my questions that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. but I wanted book and verse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want your opinion because that person has a different opinion. That person has a different opinion. Yeah. And I'm already messed up because there's too many opinions. I wanted book and verse. And when I started getting into the song and under, things started coming to light and we knew kind of what was happening, I ended up being able to answer many of these questions, book and verse. So that was liberating for me. And I really believe it's going to be liberating for a lot of marriages, women, when they can see. And and again, when I speak and and we open, we look at a scripture and then I give them like maybe some Hebrew that helps them open up some of these words. They're again, like, Oh my gosh, this is in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just veiled for small eyes, not to be able to understand it. But there was a point in time where the song of Solomon, I totally believe was opened and unveiled for a bride and a groom so that they could understand it. Uh. And And that that's what we're supposed to be using it for, but it is veiled. And because we don't understand those words, there's a lot of euphemisms and metaphors. We don't understand those, but I, I have uncovered some words that will really just make you stand up and go, Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Well, can, can you give us a few examples? Because, um, I mean, I was just thinking about that. These books were written in a time where people would understand all that. That's right. the culture they lived in. So it didn't need to be explained. It would be like if we were reading an article today about um, go on social media and tweet out this word and hashtag this. We all know what that means. Right. But um, you talk to somebody who's a, maybe 90 years old. They, don't, they know. don't know what social media is. They don't. They're like hash browns. What about hash browns? You know, what's a tweet? They, what's a tweet? What do you? Yeah. Okay. So, there. The Bible was written for the audience of that time. Right. And we're a di- we're a similar. We're still that audience, but it's written in a different. It got buried along yes, the road. Yeah. It got buried, and even like today, if I said, I said, "Well, she's a cougar," we all know what that means. Mm-hmm. Back then, they wouldn't have known what that means. Mm-hmm. They had different words for things like that. So there's several words. I mean, I could go words upon words upon words that are so interesting. But when you really dig into the Hebrew, 
Um, they might have a general meaning, like a cougar for us would be a you know big cat, but if the euphemism for it would be that it's a, a middle-aged woman on the prowl. Right. So, but back then, there's just so many things that were we don't understand. But one of the words is um, in the eighth chapter. They they say. If she, talking about the little sister, if she is a wall, we're going to get towers of silver for her, which was the bride price. So they're going to get lots of silver for her because she's a virgin. So if she was a wall, that means she's a virgin. The word wall in Hebrew is a euphemism for a chaste woman. Mm -hmm. So a virgin was a wall. Okay. So, but they said, but if she is a door... Then we will build tower. We will build cedar around her to protect her. So basically, if a door was not a door, mm-hmm. a door in that sense of the word was a easily accessible woman. Mm-hmm. So an easily that doesn't mean she's a prostitute. It means she's just easily accessible. In other words, if you're married, you're supposed to be a door. Mm-hmm. But if you're a widow, or if you're not married, you're supposed to be a wall. Okay. So, but a, a wife is not supposed to be a wall. <laughs> right. So she's supposed to be easily accessible. Easily to her accessible. Husband. So when you understand that, if you go uh, that terminology, if you go back to the fifth chapter of the Song of Solomon, Solomon comes in in the middle of the night, going, "Hey, baby, how about a one night quickie?" It's in the middle of the night. Her hair's covered in dew, and it's like. Uh, you know, open up and let me in. Well, the word open, if you even look that up in Hebrew, means to open oneself. It doesn't mean open. So he's, and she says, he's, my lover is coming knocking. He's not knocking on a physical door. He's mm-hmm. knocking on her. Open mm-hmm. up and let me in. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to have sex. Mm-hmm. And so we start, it starts to make the scriptures really come alive because now all of a sudden we realize these euphemisms and I often wonder if the word knocked up came from that. Ah, I never thought of that. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, if it's knocked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um I I that makes it just so much more interesting because you understand these these metaphors and things now. So when you read it now all of a sudden boom it jumps off the page at uh-huh. you. Mm-hmm. And so it, those are the those are just a very few few examples of how the Hebrew metaphors and some of those things um, make the, the uh, veil it. But once we understand it, it, it makes so much sense. Well, and that does make sense too, that it would be kind of written in a little bit of a code because you were, especially at that time and, you know, even now in some way, you're trained on the Bible as a child of right. reading, you know, the whole thing. And, um, and so they would want things to be sort of, uh, you know, written in code. Like if you have been married for a while and you have small children, you probably have certain little things between your husband and saying code words, code words, you know, that they're not going to know what you're talking about, but you know what you're talking about. Exactly. And, um, so because we only have a couple more minutes and we have lots, lots more we could talk about, um, tell us. So in a nutshell, what are the things that we can do? What? What is okay in the uh, well, or I, that I couldn't cover in a couple minutes because okay. I, I don't want people to say, Well, I think you know, you, you can do this, I think you can do that. I want to be extremely respectful of the scripture and I want to show people mm-hmm. this is the scripture, this is what the Hebrew says, this is what's actually happening in this part of the Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. This right here is consummation night. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening right here. Uh-huh. And that, then I take those words and I show you what the Hebrew says and you decide. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know what I think it says. Mm-hmm. And I do think it gives us a lot of free reign. Mm-hmm. A lot. And so I believe that it's just something that I don't want to just say because then people okay. are going to come back at me and go, well. well yeah. so, but once people see it, there's not a whole lot to argue. Okay. So that's why I, I sort of don't try to just go, go Blanket there. Blanket statements. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I try not to go there. I want people to look at it and go, well, how would, now that you understand the Hebrew and what's happening in this particular part of the song, how would you interpret that? Mm-hmm. And then literally lights go off. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that's like anything really, you know, with your faith, what, what you may be convicted of because we're all individuals and we're all in this personal relationship you know with god exactly um 
you know, it might be okay for me to have an alcoholic drink every now and then. But for somebody else, for some reason, that's not good for them. And a lot of that I believe, and I say this in the book, I've learned in my lifetime, I've had to unlearn a lot. A lot, yes, I agree. Because we've been taught things that were either wrong by our parents or wrong by the church or whatever it was, but... There a lot of the Bible didn't make sense to me because I've been taught wrong. Yeah. And I had to unlearn some things so that some things actually made Could sense in the true. scripture. Yeah. And so sometimes a lot of people have <laughs> You a, gotta like tear down the wall a little bit so that the yes. door can be open, right? To yes. go there again. Yeah. So yeah, it was it I find that a lot of people aren't willing to be teachable. Mm-hmm. They're not willing because if, if Uncle So and So Freddie said this, then it has to be gospel truth. He couldn't possibly be wrong, or mm-hmm. my parents couldn't be wrong, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in reality, they may have been taught wrong, but didn't know it either. And so, and sometimes I found we repeat a lot of things that we're taught that that aren't even in the Bible. You ask someone to show you this belief, that you've had, and and it's not, it's not there, it's not there, or it's there, but it doesn't say it, it doesn't the way say they're what, saying it. Exactly, you know? and you're like. All this stuff. So it really is important, I think, if you are if you are trying to, you know, even if you're not identified as a Christian, if uh-huh. you want if you want to understand the Bible, um, and and especially if you are identifying as somebody who's trying to follow what God wants us to do, um, you you there's no there's no um, way to get around it but you've got to read it yourself yes and you have to question it with a healthy dose of not not critic be critical but but i i i reference in in i I believe it was acts uh paul said the bereans were a more noble character because they searched the scripture to see if what he said was true Right. And so they're not taking it on face value of what someone else is saying. And Paul did it with miracles. So if they're questioning, okay, is that really in the, in there? And they went and they, and he wanted them to do that. Right. He wanted them to see that what he was teaching was truth and it was scriptural. And a lot of times we just take the leaders at their word thinking they know better than us and sometimes they most of the time they do yeah but sometimes mm-hmm. they've been taught wrong right and so um people don't question uh what they've been taught and that was one of the things i just think i learned a lot of in my lifetime is we we just have to we have to search it out ourselves mm-hmm. in a healthy way mm-hmm. so so when can how can um how can we learn more um the the um, first book, Now Isn't That Romantic, um, that's available on your website? Yes, on my website, nowthatsromantic.com. Nowthatsromantic.com, okay. Um, if people want to contact you to speak, say there's some very um, um, brave uh, listener, church leader out there that says, you know what, I think the women in my church and maybe the men too do need to hear this and we do need to have a conversation and I'm going to be brave enough to say hey we we've kind of shied away from this but we want to start somewhere how could they contact you well you can contact me through the website mm-hmm. um well actually I have another website I, I I back up um now that's romantic.com has been erased uh it has been actually incorporated into kimmorepresents.com and so you can get the book on there, and you can also contact me on that page. And and also, I, I have a Facebook, now that's romantic, uh, Facebook page. But yes, and I, I'm very willing to even talk with a church leader beforehand, because I know they're scared. Mm-hmm. They're terrified of what mm-hmm. you're going to come in and say. But mm-hmm. I want people to understand that what I'm doing is I'm showing them the scripture, and I and and it's and how it comes alive with history and culture and the Hebrew, and it just literally answers so many of our questions. And by get, by seeing it in black and white in scripture, I think it will give so many people permission mm-hmm. and that stamp of approval that we all want from God, that mm-hmm. he really has given us everything we need for life and godliness, including sex education. Yeah, and it's it's where, you know, people get shied away from, you know, I hate all these kind of like 
churchy terms or whatever yes. you want to say. But like, you know, you can learn it in the world or you can learn it in the church. In the church. And so if the church isn't providing it, where are you going? You're and getting where it in the your, locker room. Your, right. And where are your... <laughs> On the bathroom wall. <laughs> yeah. And where are your kids... Exactly. Where are your kids learning it? Where... School are, bus is where I learned a lot yeah. of it. I or you're just talking. not... <laughs> right. Or you're just not learning it at all. Right. And, um, and I think there are a lot of women who want to be, you know... Godly All wise. they can be Godly for wise. their husbands mm-hmm. and with their husbands and, and enjoy their own sex life. Not, we kind of didn't, we touched on it, but we didn't. Lots of times it's just like, well, you either learn, you learn that this is something men need. And so it's a duty. Right. And that doesn't work for men either. No, they don't that, want you to be they a don't duty. Want to, they don't want to be a check. They don't want to be on the same list as the laundry and packing the kids' lunches. Right. They want to please you they want to be wanted they want you to be invested they don't want this to be another job that you have yes and if you can't get out of the way of not having permission to right enjoy your own body right enjoy your husband's body and enjoy the things (laughs) that you can do together I just had a thought. There was a point when I started actually really enjoying it. And I would wake up the next morning and feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was like, man, it's it's yeah. such a mind. Uh, yeah, my, a play, play head game. Yeah, head game, head, game, head game, right. Yeah. yeah. And um, it it is, oh, it's so needed. So I'm. Can, let me just yeah. close with one thing I, mm-hmm. I didn't mention is the Song of Solomon from everything I can tell was written or not necessarily written but told by a woman it's by Shulamith which was Solomon's bride okay. in this story it's always her speaking when she says when Solomon speaks she says my lover spoke and said so, so she narrates the entire uh-huh. book and she is the bride, and she's telling it. This was the part that gives me goosebumps every time I say it. She is telling her story to the daughters of Jerusalem. And when you look up the word daughter in Hebrew, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It means a daughter, a granddaughter, a niece, a, a younger woman, a, an ancestor. So she is being that mentor, like I mentioned today, of the woman who has lived life, who has learned, who has been married, who knows how hard it is, right. who knows that you're tired and you've been with the kids all day, right. who knows that you uh, have gotten fatter and you don't feel sexy. sexy, who knows that your husband is working hard all day and and, and he comes to you for comfort sometimes and um this is the way that he you know um feels loved right um and it's different you know for a woman and um we all need to know these things instead of just kind of floating along on our raft just like i don't know what's going on i like to say that she you know there's a scripture in titus 2 that says the older women are supposed to teach the younger women how to, and part of that is love our husbands. And that's a part that's been kind of like, they teach one side of it, but not the intimate side of it. Mm-hmm. And I believe that this story is Shulamith's story to the daughters of Jerusalem, and she is teaching them how to be pure before marriage. She teaches them about the wedding night, and then she teaches them about the, the, the problems that you have in marriage and then it goes on for her teaching her daughter at the very end so it's a full cycle and so but she's our first example of the Titus 2 woman Mm -hmm. and I think that's what makes this book or this story so amazing is that we don't we've never seen it that way before Mm -hmm. I agree and I'm I'm so happy to know you and I'm proud that you um stepped out to do this not just for yourself even though that's how it started solving you know your own problem right but that you are now saying wait i need to help my sisters right i need to help the daughters and um so uh i will put your link in the comments um and people can contact you i'm definitely looking forward to your second book um i've already glimpsed at your first book and there it's really got some great ideas in there and it's a good starting part but i'm really looking at this um 
for when you are ready to release the Unlock the Secret to Lasting Intimacy, the real-life Cinderella story of King Solomon and his bride. Intimacy, heartbreak, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And, um, and just learning more of the ways that we can be that um, godly woman, but um, a, a great wife and have a strong marriage yeah. and not come home someday and, you know, have our, our husband or our wife you know, leave, leave us. Um, I think it's important for men to understand this as well. I know you're gearing towards women. Um, but I would say, oh gosh, people get this in your churches, you know, reach out to Kim, talk to her. And, um, because men, men know what they want. They don't know how to get it from the women either. Right. Um, and then they just, the world, they go find it somewhere else. The world's giving it what should have been in the marriage bed. The world is giving it in other ways. In other ways. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's critically important work that you're doing, and I'm so glad that you took time today to tell us about it. And I oh. can't, it, it just makes me, I told you this the other day when we first talked, it makes me um, want to get in there and read Song of Solomon with some different eyes and right. see what see what I can find in that juicy old Bible. Yeah, <laughs> there's some spicy stuff there's in there. There's some spicy stuff. So, anything else you want to say, Kim? Anything that we didn't... I mean, there's so much more to say. Oh, I know. We could go on for hours and hours, and I'm so passionate about the topic. But I just just do hope that eventually, you know, I I can change the way uh, women, uh, marriages, and even the church looks at at sex and intimacy because they'll actually have something to teach because, honestly, we don't know what we don't know. Absolutely. And that's the thing. That's part of the thing that leads to that 33% divorce rate. And, you know, I think the 50% too. Um, And Satan thrives in chaos and darkness. mm -hmm. And that's where we are when it comes to this topic. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, um, and in shame and in, in unknowing and, um, in, you know, I think the world's trying to do it, you know, with body this body positive movement and um, women uh, understanding their their power, right. you know, it's right. um, but there's a there's this other missing component. And yes. I think you're helping to um, to fill that. And I think we'll we'll get there. I so, think so. Thank you so much. Oh, um, thank you. You're welcome. OK, Detour Podcast listeners. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. And um, if you've got comments for Kim. Um, you can, you know, definitely leave those and any questions that you might want to ask her. Um, I'm sure she'll do her best to answer. I will. Um, definitely check out her website, Kim Moore Presents. Um, that's K-I-M-M-O-O-R-E-P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S um, dot com? Yes. Dot com. So, um, check that out and you can see the resources that are there and get in touch with Kim. And thank you so much for listening to the detour podcast. As you can see, Kim was just going through her normal life, found a challenge, a detour, and then another kind of like, here's another road sign. Kim, pay attention. Yes. This friend's marriage ended. This friend's marriage ended. Pay attention, Kim. Pay attention. Warning sign. Warning, <laughs> warning, warning. Yes. And um, and so she decided to take that detour and embrace it. And mm-hmm. that caused her to wonder and then embrace the wonder of finding out the answers. So I encourage you to do the same when detours present themselves to you. Um, take the route. Um, enjoy the wonder of it all. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.